Hey, thanks for listening to Made In. This podcast is hosted by me, Jasmine, and my better half, Evie. And we are two Asian Canadian women in Toronto talking about current events, culture, and society moments. We hope that Made In is a safe living room space where you can feel like you're sitting on the couch with us and joining in on the conversation. Thanks for being here. Hey friends, we are here today and we're really excited to have somebody in the community and also a community group to be with us because as we've said in so many podcasts, people doing the work really are in the community and that really really means a lot to us, especially on Maiden when we really want to amplify voices of, yes, people who have made it in different ways, but also in the community that is making it on a whole different level to help so many different people. So today we are so happy to have Danny Ko here. She is part of ACAS, Asian Community Aid Services. It's a charitable nonprofit community-based organization located in Toronto, Canada. They provide safer sex education and services to the East and Southeast Asian communities and support services to persons living with HIV AIDS and a member of the LGBTQ communities. She is the youth program coordinator coordinator there. And so we're so happy to have her on to ask more, you know, about what they do of how, how you can get involved and how people who may need those services might be able to reach out. So thanks so much for joining us. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. Um, but before we start, wondering if you could kind of walk us through what you do at the organization and just so that our listeners maybe are not familiar with it, kind of get to learn more, more about it. Sure thing. Yeah. So I am the queer and trans Asian youth coordinator at uh, ACAS, which is Asian Community Aid Services. And most of what I do is actually centered around a program called When You're Ready, which is an eight week program where um, youth can come in and discuss on a weekly basis stuff like mental health, sexual health, anti-oppression, harm reduction, etc. And it's a really great thing. We're actually um, ramping it up to four times a year. It used to only be three times a huh? year. So that's starting up again in August and September. And we're really excited about that. So that's mainly what I do. But I also host a lot of workshops, a lot of drop-in events, at least once a month. We're actually having four this June um, for Pride Month. Yeah, so there's a lot about um, just, for example, random skills like Canva um, or like improv. Mm. Um, we've had open mics and such. Um, but we've also had some really informative ones. For example, the one coming up this Saturday is about uh, queer alter Asians. Ooh which is about queer Asian uh, solidarity and pride and uh, cross-movement solidarity. So there's some really great variety on what we do here at um, ACAS and QTAY. That's so awesome. So and I wish I had that resource when I was younger and I didn't even know about it. Um, I think if we can jump right in, because I feel like us three as East Asian women or women or like whatever East Asians, let's just say as humans, we face a whole set of barriers when it comes to first also intersectionality and also within the Asian diaspora, there are different types of discriminations too, but also when it comes especially to homophobia, when it comes to being accepting, I think it's a whole set of challenges. And that's why when you were saying, you know, we have these workshops, I teach you about these skills, I have these all these people together. That's something I really wish that I had growing up. And I just 
just didn't. And I think it really, for me, like it made me see the church as the devil, which is so serious to me just because in the way it was so uninviting. And you know how those communities can be. So I'm from a Chinese Canadian background. My parents are from Hong Kong. And you know, the communities that we make here, sometimes the Chinese community is incredibly bubbled in their own ways and Mm -hmm. the way they think, especially in the church. So I felt just always demonized for thinking different things. And I wasn't until later that I was able to come out in my own identity to say, I think I'm closer to something like pansexual, but I really just see everyone in a very big spectrum. Like, you know, I just like, I think as much as people have to come out because, you know, the society is heteronormative. I just wish it wasn't like that because everyone is such a big spectrum of who they like and who they love. And it was something I didn't know for so long. So imagine having those you guys around and everyone there. I think it means so much. So if we break into it, I guess, like what are some challenges you see with Asian, East Asian or Southeast Asian youth who are trying to be in that LGBTQ space, but still kind of struggling. And then suddenly, like I guess, like find you guys and really find that chosen family or a new resource. Yeah, for sure. Um, so just to speak to a little bit of what you said, I also came from a very like Christian, Catholic, conservative mm. family. I was raised in a very white Christian community. Mm-hmm. I also, this is a resource that I definitely needed. I actually only really started participating in QTAY like two years ago. And then since then, I've risen in the ranks. But yeah, I can't speak for the whole queer Asian community. um, And I don't want to stereotype or stigmatize further the various cultural challenges that we face. But there are a variety of things, I would say, such as, for example, language barriers that are kind of prevalent for a lot of us, especially for those of us who have parents who are immigrants or who like for us ourselves as immigrants. But there's also a lot of like colonial structures. Not sure how radical I should be on here. Um, Oh, you can be as radical as you want. We are really like... Yeah, go. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, So a lot of Asian communities, um, a lot of Asian cultures actually had... Um, you know, notions of non-heteronormative sexuality Mm. and non-binary genders. So, for example, like the story of the cut sleeve in Chinese mythology, or it's not even really mythology because the Han Dynasty had so many gay people. Or like in the Philippines, uh, like we've always had like gender fluidity and gender fluidity was something that was praised and um, even people were made into deities for it. So a lot of that was stripped away from us due to, you know, colonialism, diaspora, So I think our unique challenge is to reclaim those cultures, to reclaim our histories, to tell our stories in ways that we want to be heard and seen. And that's also a huge way to overcome those challenges because there is a beauty in being queer and Asian and we shouldn't have to pick one over the other for safety or out of fear or anything like that. Totally. I think I can only speak for the Korean culture, but I remember uh, maybe up until only a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple years ago, there was like the first Korean drama ever where it had gay characters. And I remember being so taboo, even like my own dad, who doesn't normally watch gay drama, like even want to bring it up during like dinner. So I think there's definitely very, very tiny steps being made. But I think looking into the Korean culture a bit more like men are looked to be so much more feminine. Like you look at BTS, look at the K-pop idols that we look up to. They're always wearing makeup, but that's so normal normalized like even you know in subway stops in korea there's plastic surgery posters everywhere it includes men and women and it's so normal to take care of your you know aesthetics your beauty Mm -hmm. for men and women and even for the men to even hold hands walking down the street like it's and just uh and not queer way at all so i feel like those norms in the western culture is so taboo but even though that's accepting in korean culture 
you know, talking about homosexuality is so taboo. So I feel like there's so there's so many intersectionality that like just doesn't make sense. But hopefully, you know, in Itaewon, there is like a gay uh, communities like the village where, you know, people can go and be more free, but it's such a small part of the entire culture. Um, wanted to see if, th- if these are kind of the unique stories of backgrounds of the people that come to use your resources. Yeah, for sure. Um, in my own experience, even like sort of speaking to what your dad was saying as well. Yeah, my mom was really confused when I came out to her as uh, gender fluid. And uh, she was like, oh, I don't see why you have to label it as that. Like she's Chinese and grew up in the Philippines. And she was just like, oh, but like all Filipinos are like mm. down to break the binary. Um, so she never really understood why I had to like put a label on it. But the reason was because I was raised in a yeah. Western society, you know, um, I was I was told to put this label on it, which like I'm happily doing. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to see that shift of like, oh, but that's not super queer or like maybe there's something inherently queer about, um, you know, being ourselves within diaspora. So, yeah. And I think that also speaks to like indigenous culture and like two spirited where it wasn't it, it like I, the way I have seen it being born here, being raised here in, I would say my, like my growing up was really white and very heteronormative. Like it was so weird, like those things like holding hands, like stuff like that, you know, and being a boy, like macho, like as the idea, like it's something that I think it's really, really more prevalent in Western societies. I'm not saying it doesn't happen anywhere else and there isn't discrimination with that, but it's so, it's it's a lot of unlearning, whereas there's already like societies and cultures that have always praised that. And it's just like getting those histories out to the front is so difficult, especially when we're in a world that is so capitalist and so westernized that everything that we see in the front seems to be like the only thing. Like I know that indigenous people in Canada are just now, you know, tr- not just now have been always trying to reclaim their history, but we don't have it in our textbooks and we can't learn that. So when you mentioned the stuff about the Han dynasty people um, slash people in the Philippines have always been like that. That's something that I think in the Western world, we don't actually know all those things. So are those those kind of services and histories that you guys are bringing back to the top at your uh, at the organization? And just like because sometimes seeing and having that history is a reason to really understand oneself and identify with oneself even more. And I think mm-hmm. even you just telling me that those, those few examples and something that I didn't even know. And just like, it, it's, it's so crazy you know, to even think about that and just being like, wow, we are so conditioned to think one way when the ways are so different and it's such a circle. So, um, bigger than a circle. So are those the kind of resources people like can get and the histories you guys are trying to maintain? Uh, I would actually say that's such a small part of what we do. Um, I personally have that sort of like interest in Mm. that. So that's what I'm sort of personally doing. Um, But as an organization, uh, it's more about preserving and allowing ourselves to tell our own stories. A lot of this is, um, you know, uplifting our own experiences, being unafraid to tell the honest truth, like, um, and also acknowledging that there's multiple truths, like our story isn't the only story and that's okay. It's one of those things where it's like, I think we're, slowly making that shift towards acknowledging and um, bringing out those histories, but more so it's right now like uplifting our modern uh, stories that are helping folks, you know, come out or be brave or just be themselves. So yeah, I I think it's a part of it for sure, but I don't think that's the whole story at all. (laughs) 
Um, I know that, correct me if I'm wrong, but the organization has been around for about 20 years. Um, wanted to see if you had any maybe historical information about how the journey has been to kind of get to the place now where people can uh, really enjoy and, you know, be in a safe space where they can be really themselves. But want to see if there is any stories about, you know, how long did it take to kind of be the, the organization that it is today? Yeah, it's been a, a wild journey. Like I said, I'm rather new here. So I'm learning a lot of this in sort of snippets or just in uh, accidentally coming across it in archives and whatnot. But Dr. Alan Lee is one of our co-founders and uh, he is such a staunch queer Asian activist um, and has been since I believe the 70s. Mm. I've been honored to hear some of this history from him. And it's it's been one of those like sort of back and forth things, a lot about, um, you know, radical community activism, but also understanding that there's the need for funding, perhaps um, the need to like work with the community, to work with the government, to get this funding, to work within oppressive structures to try to provide things for our community. So there's a lot of histories there. There's a lot of histories of radicalism, a lot of histories of... Um, back and forth battles of like trying to keep programming when the government says that, you know, like this population is fine. Mm -hmm. Like we don't need that, et cetera. Um, so for example, we don't currently have a woman's program uh, because it was completely defunded. Mm -hmm. um, but it's one of those things that we're constantly fighting to get back. Um, so it's, it's a tug of war for sure. Um, I don't know too much about the history regarding um, necessarily how it was founded, but I definitely think it was like, sort of a radical life-changing thing um, that has kind of stuck around since um, that has definitely changed in many, many ways. And I think now we're starting to reach out to a lot more organizations, a lot more different movements. Uh, we've always been a part of many different movements and always been uh, allies. But um, now, especially with the pandemic, especially the fact that things are so much more accessible, we're trying to figure out ways that we can be better allies, ways that we can get the word out about our own programs and um, community needs. So there's a lot there. Yeah, I feel like for an organization like the one that you work at and this organization, it is met with resistance. A lot of communities organizations are, and uh, especially those that have to, for some reason, keep having to show, I don't know, data points of why it's necessary. That's always what I find a lot of frustration comes from because it's like, can't even just take the story for face for what it is, right? They need the all this stuff and this stuff and whatever. But I think that I think that an important point that you guys make, especially to demystify this whole thing with like the model minority thing, like which we, we still are fighting today. We're still fighting our own parents and grandparents to understand why that is so hurtful for not just us, but people, black people, indigenous people as well. Like you said, we do have a history of resistance, like as Asian queer people or as Asian people, like we do have that. And it's just something that whenever we see these organizations, like 20 plus years of this, um, you know, that obviously came with a lot of resistance. So in that way, it's like you guys are part of this thing. So in terms of the women's um, program, which is something that obviously it's hard to get funds for, because I think a lot of communities are getting that. Like, what does it take to kind of like help out if you're just somebody who wants to help out the organization or like, I really want to help contribute to hopefully getting this women's program back up and running? Is it letters to certain like leadership? Like what what is the, something that just an average person can do to help out? Yeah. What can we do? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, as of right now, what we're kind of doing is that we're taking in donations um, on our website, acast.org. And we're 
basically asking people like to put in the comments box like if they want to fund a very specific program. We've actually had a few thousand donations um, to revive amazing. the women's program, and while yeah, it, it it is amazing. And while we have you know lost the government funding, the fact that the community wants it and needs it means that we are actually hopefully slowly trying to bring it back. Um, for two years now, I've hosted Pillow Talk, which is our annual forum for um, women and non-binary folks who need any sort of service or or need um, a space to talk about intimacy. Their body, sexual health, mental health, etc., and from there we're hoping um, to get enough attention to like start at least hosting maybe like monthly events, and then to slowly grow that out again. So, uh, yeah, the average person really can just like get the word out, can help donate, and I understand that money is tight for many people. So honestly, just like encouraging people to ask to have the women's program back really helps us a lot because then we can show the funders, hey, mm-hmm. people want this program. Uh, people need this program. Uh, this is what we can do. And this is what we need to get it on the ground running. So, yeah. Is there any messages that you would like to share with someone who's maybe thinking about coming to one of the workshops or do a drop in um, that are maybe confused or, you know, scared or, you know, getting a lot of, you know, difficult feeling just with your family dynamic or whatnot um, to kind of really let them know that it is a really safe space. Like, is there anything that you would want to share with someone that might be listening that wants to take up on it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think the first thing that I would want to say is that this is a safer space. Um, No space is truly safe and that's okay. And I think that's so important to acknowledge because then it leaves that room for growth, that room for change. Um, And for you to enter this space as someone who is questioning or unsure or scared, um, that's a beautiful thing. You know, the more authentic you are, the more beautiful place the world becomes. Um, but it's tough to speak to this because the situation is just so different for everyone. Um, there, you know, I could always say, you know, there's more resources and there are people who are willing to listen to you, which is true. It totally is. Um, you could also say, you know, there's community supports available and generally they are accessible, which is great. But I think what people need to hear right now, especially in the pandemic, is that they aren't alone, which is once again, a very popular message, but it makes sense that you feel alone. You know, the system is designed to make you feel alone. Um, and that isn't an accident. Um, you are powerful and you come from a beautiful culture of queerness, of hope, of love. Colonialism and diaspora work to isolate us, um, to make us feel less than. But these sort of programs and workshops hopefully can fight that. And if they don't, then we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to know what you need from us. So if you are hesitant to join us, I understand and I completely, I respect that. But hopefully you get the courage to at least email um, or to come out for an event to question us, to wonder why we do things a certain way, because we need that feedback. We need your voice. Um, And it really is only with your voice, with your presence that we are able to grow and make that change and build that community. So we hope you become a part of it. Thank you for that message, because I think that's what people need to hear, not even in a forced way, because obviously that's, I think, a lot of what people want. And you're totally right in the way like, yeah, there's no truly safe space and everyone needs room to grow and just be, you know, ever changing and listening. Um, I want to ask you if there's any upcoming programs or anything happening soon, uh, if you want to mention some of those, if people feel like uh, after listening to this, they want to drop in and see the first kind of session and how it goes. Um, what kind of things are coming up? Cool. So on June 19th, which is this coming Saturday, uh, we do have, um, you know, Queer Alter Asians, which is um, about 
queer Asian solidarity and pride. Um, it's about, you know, the fact that we've been facing a lot of anti-Asian racism, mm. the fact that we face a lot of homophobia and transphobia, um, and that will be taking place from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, so it's like a discussion space as well as a space to learn more. Um, the 20th, we have Pink.to, which is actually our biggest annual fundraiser to help us support and fund these programs. So that will be taking place on our YouTube channel, uh, which is ACAS, ACAS Toronto, I believe. Mm. So if you would like to donate or if you would even like to tune in and just see some really wonderful performances by the community um, and support messages, I would li- really love to have you um, there and with your comments and your applause and whatnot in that YouTube comments section. Yeah. And then on Wednesday, we have our um, speed funding event, which we would love to have more people for. That's 7 to 9 p.m. Um, and it's just going to be online. Um, we're going to be using Gather Round, which is a great site for this sort of thing. On the 27th, uh, which is Sunday, we will be having um, a whole workshop on cross-movement solidarity and why it's so important. This is, for example, to really like uplift the Indigenous community, which is really hurting right now, Black Lives Matter, to address concerns within, for example, like the Sikh community, a lot of like Muslim communities right now, especially with the recent attacks, etc. So it will help us become better allies and better friends to those who need us. Um, and then finally, on June the 30th, we have our games night, Games to be Decided, but um, that is also 7 to 9 p.m. and that will be really exciting. I forgot to say the one on the 27th is 1 to 3 p.m. Mm. Otherwise, uh, we take a bit of a break until August or September, which is when When You're Ready starts again. And after that, it'll be happening... Um, basically four times a year mm. so feel free to ask about it to email in etc yeah. that's amazing thank you so much for giving me your your team is booked and busy this month <laughs> <laughs> we are we are very excited about it too <laughs> that's amazing thank you so much for sharing all those resources don't worry guys we'll list it out so you have somewhere to look back to and to attend any of uh, any of the events that they're hosting. Also, I think it's really amazing that there are places for allies to join in as well and to just kind of show support. I think that's super important, obviously, especially in the Asian community. I feel, you know, queerness is such a taboo topic still that we really need to break down the stigma and like create the safe space that we all need, safer space that we need. So thank you so much for Danny for coming on and, you know, sharing us your story and also what the amazing work that the organization is doing. And we look forward to seeing all the amazing work you'll continue to do. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, no, thank you both so much for having us. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to Made In. Email us at hi at imadein.com. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at imadein underscore. Thank you again.